Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 163. And this week we have no announcements. Woo! <laughs> so you got some stuff done this week, right? Yeah, over the weekend I got a lot of work done on the uh, Parallax Propeller development stick. Um, I last, last time we talked, I was looking for a lithium battery solution. Um, I was going to use that one TI chip that I had already designed and kind of just like graft it onto the the existing board. Wait, wait, wait! You opted to not do that? Exactly. I actually designed a new part this weekend. Oh my god! The footprint, at least, and symbol. <laughs> <laughs> not the whole silicon solution to go. Wait, wait! What, what made you? What made you choose to uh, switch? So the the thing was, I was trying to find a solution that would play happy with my um, power mux that TPS two one one three, which like switched between USB power in and like a DC power pack. Right. And so I was trying to figure out a good solution that would work with that, and I couldn't really make that work with the lithium battery um, manager circuit that I already had designed in that chip. And so I went and perused TI's catalog looking for like dual input um, lithium battery chargers, and I found the BQ24165 uh, chip and... It has, it's actually pretty cool. It has, um, it supports USB input, right? And it also supports DC input. So it, it basically combines a power mux and a lithium battery management circuit. Ah, so you, you replaced it because it's all in one. Yes, it's all in one. And it solves a couple of the like handshaking between chips issues that I was running into with the previous design. And so instead of having like three ICs, well, two ICs plus like a P-channel MOSFET. Now I just have one IC. Nice. This handles it all. Yeah. Is it uh, reasonably priced? Uh, it is when you look at like what it replaced. It's like <laughs> five bucks. Oh, geez. Which is like, yeah, it's, it's like kind of pricey. But the thing is, it replaced like a $2.50 um, power mux. It replaced like $3 what the other lithium battery circuit would have cost. It replaced, you know, a 50 cent MOSFET. So it was like a wash price wise. Yeah, but but in terms of layout, you get a lot of benefit. A lot of benefit and the fact that it handles everything internally in the reduction in error basically for me implementing the solution will go down. So what what uh, what kind of package does it come in? I think it's a QFN. It comes in a BGA, but I'm not using that one. I'm using the QFN like 28, I think is what it is. You know, uh sorry, I know I'm jumping a bunch of you know, side questions yeah. here, but uh, how often does Macrofab do BGAs now? I think almost every single day. Yeah, every, basically basically every panel has a BGA on it. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't do that because the... Um, what is the pitch width on the BGA? It's a QFN24 is what it is. Okay. Um, let me see what the BGA... I think you should. I think you should change the BGA just to make it look clean. It is a 0.4 millimeter BGA. Oh, that I, 0.4 is right on the edge of MacFab's capability, right? Well, not a sim. It's right on the edge of the trace width. Three mil, three mil. Well, you have to do. You have to go smaller than three mil trace width to do a 0.4, or you have to move the VN pad. And both of those are pricey. <laughs> okay, so via and pad when doing BGA is not necessarily a good 
thing, especially when dealing with that small a pad. Well, when I mean VN pad, VN pad, and then epoxy fill cap them. Oh, good God, no. You know, fu- oh, so, so funny enough, Macrofeb has articles written about all of those things. Yeah, I'm actually about to release a VN pad article that deals with capping them. Right. Uh, like this week, that article will come out. <laughs> right. And a, and a long time ago, I wrote an article about uh, escaping BGAs and... Uh, Sodom mask and non-Sodom mask defined pads. Dog boning and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a subject you shouldn't like just blindly Google is dog boning, by the way. <laughs> yeah, d- dog boning and what we're talking about is how to properly place a via within a BGA package. <laughs> yes. Um, our marketing director was in for quite a shock when when that got Googled. <laughs> uh, good times Parker what is dog boning and I'm like uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so anyways yeah it's a 0.4 millimeter BGA which um, I don't want to spend a ton of money on the PCBs so I, I went for the, the QFN yeah yeah it's not that I can build with the normal uh, 6 mil 6 mil spacing oh no 5 mil 5 mil spacing oh it's moved to 5 5 now yeah we got it over to 5 mil 5 now it's the standard. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Um, do you uh, do you do five five just as a default now on your boards? Uh, I usually do ten ten. Okay. Unless I need to go smaller, and I usually do at six. Mm-hmm. Unless I need, then I go one more step if I need to go smaller. So I go ten ten, six six five five. Is usually what I do. Got it. I, I've I've kind of gotten in a groove now where I'll do. Uh, 12 uh 12 trace width with 22 via and then i'll do um if i've got like jeez that's a ginormous via. it's a pretty it's a pretty big via yeah but um but a lot of times i'm dealing with like oscillators and stuff like that where i want the inductance to be pretty low uh so i'll do that and i'll do like four or five vias in like a stitch pattern mm-hmm. uh but uh if if i've got something like a digital trace that just flips a switch or something like that i'll run that as a six yeah yeah man i run like 10 mil drills like all the time unless it's like i know it's power (laughs) yeah yeah so well most of most of the 22s i do are popping up uh a a positive or a negative 12 volt rail to an op amp okay yep you need some power there yeah a little bit yeah yep so hopefully by the next podcast i have that board or routed basically i designed the part it took me like basically half a day on on saturday just looking at parts i was looking for that right part that would be the solution i needed uh and also it does like current limiting depending on uh there's like an i set so like uh, a current set resistor but even more so is it also implements like the standard currents that USB devices have, like 100 milliamps, uh, 500 milliamps, and it goes actually supports some USB 3.0 stuff, like the 900 milliamp standard and stuff like that. Mm. And you just twiddle some of the bits on 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 its uh, it's got like a three pin uh, configuration setup, mm. so you get eight choices. You you know what you know would be really fun. Uh, I would love to hear uh, if any of our listeners want to jump on the Slack channel and jump, I guess, do this in either the MEP or the general channel within the Slack. Um, Tell us 
what is the longest you've ever taken to find a chip? Not not like stumbling upon a chip, but like something you knew you wanted and you were searching for it. How long did it take for you to be like, this is the one? Yeah, so it took me half a day for that one. <laughs> I, I remember an engineering manager I worked under once. Um, he spent, him and his team spent an entire month looking for the right processor for a project. Now, it's like this this was like a multi-million dollar project where they wanted it to be like absolutely flawless. So they took an entire month, but like what's the longest anyone has taken? I'd love to hear some uh, war stories about that. Can you imagine basically reading MCU data sheets for a whole month, like all 500 pages of each one? Oh, that'd make you, you'd go cross-eyed. <laughs> like yeah well like and having arguments with like the the firmware team versus the hardware team about the merits of each one and like picking okay so like finally you everyone's like happy with like okay this one has an ide i'm happy with this one has like the tool chain i'm happy with but then like once you find a family then you have to pick like how much memory are we gonna get and all this oh god that sounds terrible and then you pick the <laughs> and then you pick the right chip and then like the next day that company releases an errata for it that just like throws it all out the window. Oh, or they, they're like, well, this is going obsolete in the next six months or something like that. (laughs) And by six months, we mean tomorrow, tomorrow, (laughs) order them all now or hold your peace. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So that, that's that project. Um, and then this is an idea I got after our last podcast we did. Um, I had a crazy idea that I wanted to put a tack, a tachometer, into the wagon because it doesn't have one. And I started looking online, and they're like 150 bucks for a decent one. Like you can get cheap ones for like 60 bucks, but they go up to like 10,000 RPM. It's like Hmm. that engine revs to like 4,000, and that's it. So you're only using redlines at 4,000. Yeah, redlines at like 4,000. So you're only using like. (laughs) A fifth of the gauge, right? Right, yeah, it's kind of worthless. Um, Two fifths of a gauge, actually, if you want to get correct on that one. (laughs) Um, And so I'm like, oh, well, the, you know, how hard can it be to just like get an Arduino? Because I got, you know, thousands of those around, grab a screen that I've had in the parts bin and, you know, put that together and read the tack. Um, so I, I pulled out my multi, uh, not my multimedia, I pulled out my uh, oscilloscope, set it up on like the fender of my wagon, hooked it up to the tack and captured the waveform. And I'm like, oh, it's a five volt spike, all that good stuff. And um, so I, I did a little circuit basically just to uh, like, you know, make sure there's no ESD or anything like that. Put a... Um, 4.7 volt like Zener diode to kind of like clamp it to make sure no spikes would go over that and fry the Arduino. And then uh, I wrote some code uh, and I found a, a old VFD screen from an old Macrofab uh, podcast project, which will be unnamed. And then... Uh, <laughs> Wait, you repurposed that one? Yeah, the one for the uh, super simple power supply. Oh, great. Yeah, well, yeah. I guess we'll have to order another one someday. Yep. And so I, I repurposed that display, got that all working. I think my favorite part, I'll post the code up on like GitHub or something. But the uh, my favorite part of that code was I I uh, made a bar because it's a two by 16 character display. So the top row has, says RPM and then the number, right? Mm-hmm. But the bottom, I made a 16 segment like like sweep bar, like a bar graph. 
Yeah, right. It's right. always so much fun to program and make that work right. Huh. Um, and I kind of have a, I don't know if it was the right way, but I think it's a very ingenious way how I programmed it. Uh, I bet you someone would be like, oh, that's a terrible way. It's more efficient if you do it this way, but eh. But I mean, that's coding. And no matter what you do, somebody's going to say that. Yeah. But I, I like the solution I came up with. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm surprised that Arduino doesn't have like a built in like bar graph library, you know? Well, there is, but it's for like actual oh, bar graphs. Of course they do. <laughs> but it's for like actual LED bar graphs, not like using a two by 16 character display as one. Well, I mean, of course, you'd have to take whatever code that they have and you'd have to translate it to how it communicates to that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so they, they do have some built-in function for that. Well, it's Arduino. Of course they do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I was waiting for some parts, and um, I decided I got a little anxious, and so I hooked it up to the wagon and cranked it over, immediately fried the Arduino. Like, it was the most <laughs> violent smoke releasing of a microcontroller I've ever seen in my life. And it was like 20 feet away because it was like on my bench and I was cranking the engine over inside the wagon. I just see just like just I don't know how it like 18 mega 328p has that much smoke in it, but it did. And thankfully it didn't fry. You the just screen. roasted it. I roasted that microcontroller. I didn't uh, mess the screen up, fortunately, because that was like that's like a $60 screen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. And so I'm like, huh, I wonder what was up. Because I'm like, it was a 5-volt signal, all that good stuff. And so I hooked it all back up without the Arduino and just put my meter on it. And I turn, I cranked it over, and the diode, my Zener diode was glowing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, what is going on? So I put the multimeter on it in the AC mode because, you know, it's a it's an alternating signal. Ish. Um, ish. And I got 50 volts. Oh, <laughs> and so basically, what I realized was my probe scope was in 10x. Oh, and I just hadn't set my scope to 10x. <laughs> it was in 1x mode. <laughs> and so it was a 50 volt signal that just pumped right into the Arduino. <laughs> and that diode hadn't, like, it could not handle that. <laughs> it was like clearly. Like a, it was like a quarter watt Zener diode. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just that glass was just just boiling inside there. <laughs> uh, so fix that. I, I made just like a resistor ladder to knock uh, a resistor divider. I mean, to knock down that uh, 50 volts to basically like 4.8 ish volts. Sure. And then put a Zener on it. And that works great. It uh, actually works. I made a video and posted it on, on Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's uh, a, <laughs> I, I need to like make a little like perf board. Yeah. And just like actually wired it in. But yeah. And then like 3D print something. The, uh, yeah. yeah. Ha, ha, have you ever had that before where like, I mean, well, obviously you just had a situation where the 10X bit you pretty hard. But have you ever had a situation <laughs> where the, the 10X probe thing has just got you scratching your head for a long time? Where like, my signal is so small and there's no way that it could be this small. <laughs> yes, that's happened to me all the time. Uh, I'm about at the point is just like put it in one X and just like put tape over it. I you just can't move it. There, there, there are situations where 10 X is, is really useful. It is, but for my world, it's nah. what I use the scope for. Well, I'll, I'll give, I'll give a, I'll give an example for it. I've, I've had some like uh timing circuits before. In fact, I did a, uh, I did a timing circuit for a, um, 
it was an alarm generator. Um, well, basically, it, it had a, it had a thing where it had a threshold, uh, and it would detect some kind of input signal. If it reached that threshold, then what it would do is it would throw a, co- a comparator high, but mm-hmm. you didn't want to immediately like throw an alarm signal. You wanted to wait anywhere from zero to 30 seconds. So I made a timing circuit there. But in order to measure that timing circuit for a 30-second timing circuit, and this was analog, mind you, uh, because we didn't want to go digital with it. Uh, in order to measure that, if you had a probe on it, you'd, you'd mess the measurements up at 1x. So you had to have it at 10x in order to like actually measure the timing on there. Was that because of the loading or something like that? The one megahertz loading of the probe was enough to alter the timing because it would discharge through the probe also. Now, gotcha. and, and technically 10x would be also, but it's an order of Less magnitude so. difference, right? Yep. Yeah. And so, and uh, this is actually not on, on my notes, is um, last podcast, uh, I said the powered mirror circuit worked. Well, I yeah. actually finally installed it, and I actually 3D printed a bracket and everything, so that's all installed. It looks factory. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll yeah. put some uh, pictures up on the uh, blog for that. That was pretty cool. Um, and then the last thing I have is I haven't got to try them yet, but uh, I was ordering some Tag Connect stuff for a project at work, and I saw that they came out with like these probe ends mm-hmm. that go on like the end of your, your multimeter. Um, like the little pointy uh, multimeter probes. And these have like a micro claw on the end. Like it's like three or four prongs that are yep. really tiny. Yeah. And it's supposed to like grip onto like the lead you poke it into. And so it doesn't slip. That's so I haven't cool. tried them yet, but I did like get them out of the box and like kind of like poke around on a PCB and they do grip really well. Like can you grip... A, a uh, like a dip chip or or a smaller pin or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, that's cool. It will kind of like stick to it. So that's uh, like when you're trying to like measure a lot of things and then like do something else, like or look at or, like adjust the scope as you're like holding the probes and stuff. I think that would come in useful. Um, oh yeah, I'll I'll get back on that once I've got some miles on them. You know, uh, I I learned my lesson this last year on a product I was uh, working on. Um, So I did an initial prototype and the prototype functioned, but it wasn't anywhere near where I wanted it to be. And uh, one of the, one of the things that sucked about it is I I couldn't reach any of the signals with a scope when it was assembled. So I had to do these like goofy, like octopus, you know, tendrils hanging out of it to grip onto. And they were all the same color. So I had to remember, oh, this one coming out of this side of the board means this signal. So I redid a prototype of that and I added tons of through-hole test points that are, it's just a through-hole pad. In fact, the, the, the one I have now has 35 test points on it. And they're not test points in terms of like, oh, you need this for calibration. They're test points in terms of uh, you know, I need to adjust a resistor for timing or uh, a resistor for gain or something like that. Mm-hmm. I can just shove a uh, an oscilloscope probe in there and it hangs in there and uh, it makes it super easy. So for prototypes, it's actually a really, really nice way of doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. If your layout can handle that, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I'm hoping to put those under further use and see if they actually hold up because they were not cheap. How much were they? Like thirty? I think they're like twenty-five bucks. Oh man! Which I'm like a good 
pair of probes for a, like a multimeter are like twenty five bucks. You know, I bought a I bought a, a set of oscilloscope probes the other day off of Amazon uh, for. I think it, they ended up being seventeen bucks, mm-hmm. and that's unbelievably cheap. But to be honest, for just general use for low frequency stuff, say hundred kilohertz and less, they're actually pretty dang good. I would buy a whole nother set because uh, I do have a scope that has four inputs. Uh, I think it would be totally worth it. My bad. It's actually thirty dollars. Yeah, thirty bucks. You know, I, I'm 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 a bit interested in uh, how long those would last. Those little fingers, you know, are they going to break or whatever? Yeah. Hmm. But we'll see. Cool. I was willing to give it a shot because I know how annoying that is when I'm trying to, like, especially on, like, fine pitch stuff, like trying to poke, like, a 0.4 millimeter, you know, QFP or something, and you just, like, keep slipping. Yeah. 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 Well, and and especially if you've got something where you don't want to short something next to another pin, that's the yes. worst. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever okay the the pins coming out of a chip? Like take a take a QFP. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the pins come out. I think they're called J leads, right? Uh, Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So they come out. They do they do a one bend and then they do a secondary bend to come down to the board. A lot of times, I try to measure where the pin actually enters the chip like at the first knee because mm-hmm. if i get a signal there then it's i the know that the solder joint has like passed because i don't like the idea of like if, if you're putting your probe at the like the the foot i guess you could say of the pin there's a name for that what is it um what toe the toe is that i i, I should know that i think ipc rules actually have a name for that part of the pin but yeah we'll call it the toe if you put it in that like joint where the toe bends up then there's a chance that you could push it down into the solder joint and then you know you can introduce errors things i i i actually like to do i we're going to call that the word you like to test it the thigh that's above the knee. Um, I actually like to put my probe there too, but for a different reason. Yeah, what's that? Mainly because at MacFab we use no clean solder, and that no clean flux kind of oh, like encapsulates yeah. and makes a hard shell. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't know if you are poking through that or not. It's but so if you go above it, it's fine. Well, and on top of that, with that no clean crap, if you if you poke through it, a lot of times you can fracture it, and then it just looks like but you know yeah. uh you can get little flakes and, of stuff yeah that's good um i so can this tag connect grip at the thigh as opposed to grip at the toe <laughs> i don't know i bet you it can yeah i bet you it can okay. I'll, I'll give the shot this uh weekend so yeah cool so uh so this week i actually made some progress on the macro amp which Funny, funny story about that. So, gosh, the macro amp was one of the first things I did at Macrofab, or you know, in a string of one of the first things that I did at Macrofab. And uh, I bought all the parts for it, got the board made for the most part, and then uh, shelved it for a good handful of reasons. And it's been on on my shelf for a long time, but I but I resurrected it mainly because uh, a lot of other it's projects shelf space. Well. <laughs> yeah a lot of a lot of, so what i'm what i'm doing right now is on a lot of my projects i'm trying to just like etch away small pieces of each one as opposed to mm-hmm. trying to do like a herculean effort on each and every one to get it done like just chunk away a little bit on, on everyone so i resurrected this one and it's kind of fun 
to see what you did in the past. Not that I think I did a bad job or did a good job, but it's just like I did some things and I'm like, okay, well, that was what I chose to do. I guess I have to continue with it. I mean, it was over three years ago. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. I mean, things are different now. And, if, you know, at that point, three years before that, I probably would have looked at a project and been like, what, what, what did I do? Uh, so <laughs> so it's kind of fun, though, because, like, I have it, I'm approaching it from a different mentality. And um, so, so first of all, so I, okay, so I have the enclosure. I have the transformers. I have the PCB. Now I'm just basically connecting everything together. So I actually yep. spent some time um, laying out the enclosure. But before what I was really worried about was like, okay, I, I, I want to like hyper define where every little thing goes. And this time I just – I modeled the footprint of all the Transformers and the PCB in Fusion 360 – and then I just moved them. I'm like, yeah, I like that. That looks good. And I printed out and drilled that. <laughs> so I, I, t- I took a way more just like fun approach to this as opposed to like, I have to be super careful about where everything goes. Not really. This is just a fun project, you know, um, and I'm not going to sell good. this or anything like that. And yeah, no, like I moved it until it looks good. That's that's a totally valid way of designing, in my opinion. Now, if you're if you're designing a product that needs to last a long time and is going to be sold to a bunch of people, of course you need to think about other things. But this is going to sit on my bench and be a turntable amplifier. Uh, so I'd rather just be like, okay, this was fun. Uh, so I ended up, I mean, I the actual construction method of like aligning things, you know, actually doing a good job drilling them and making everything straight. Like, of course I'm going to do that. But in terms of stressing where each component is, it, you know, eh, whatever, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that all worked out. So I actually drilled it out, uh, the, the enclosure and I've got the transformers mounted. I don't have the hardware yet. Cause, um, what I realized is there's like, I've got five or six projects right now that are all at the state where they all need hardware. So what my plan is, is I'm just going to get everything together and say, okay, this one needs a 632 by quarter inch. This one needs an 1024 by half inch, blah, blah, blah. Like get a whole list and just make a McMaster like explosion and buy <laughs> like all the hardware I need so I can mount everything. Cause yeah, uh, I, I fixed a, a buddy's amp this weekend and, um, I used up a handful of tube sockets and, um, and I used up a handful of the uh, the hardware I need to for some tube sockets for some other projects. And then I've got an amp sitting over here that needs 10 more to, or eight more tube sockets over here. I've got this macro amp that needs some. I've got a buddy who I'm sending some hardware to. So it's just like, okay, like I'm just going to McMaster the hell out of all of this. You need a big whiteboard and just write things down on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, no, I started doing that with my wagon. I'm like, yeah. okay. What's next? These are I I put a whiteboard up and I wrote down everything that needs to be done on it yeah. before it gets driving. And then I'm like, okay, what parts do I need to get? And then wrote those down. And then as I was able to find them and order them, cross them off. And then as I'm building, so I'm like, I got like two things left on my list now before it's it rolls out of my garage what? for at least a month. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So you know, it's yeah. it's funny because. Um, before before I met you, a few years before I met you, I actually lived in a warehouse. I think I talked to you about this at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I built out a warehouse uh, and and made a home into it. And it was it was really awesome. But 
so I had an office that was like an actual office that was inside the warehouse where I built an entire whiteboard where I had all my electronic projects written out on it. But then in the garage portion of the warehouse, I put another whiteboard where I had all of the garage projects out there. So I, it's funny cause I used to do that a whole lot. I, I don't anymore, but that's a good idea. Maybe, maybe I'll just cause for really, really cheap, uh, home Depot sells four by eight sheets of whiteboard material. And what I've done in the past is just buy a sheet of that, make a frame. And what I mean by frame is like, like visual frame by putting yeah. gaff tape around the edges. It keeps the edges like connected and like, it, cause that stuff will swell if it gets wet. So I gaff tape the edges and then just screw it to a wall somewhere and bam, you're done. You know, you for, yeah. I think, it's, I think they're like 13, 14 bucks and you have, yep. a, you have a four by eight whiteboard. It's kind of awesome. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's honestly, that's not a bad idea. I might, yeah. I might end up doing that because, because I'm resorting to like word documents with like, here's all the hardware I need for these projects. Exactly. I'm actually going to put one in here in this room for my, um, I actually pointed like our listeners could see that, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm going to put one up in here too for electronic projects. Nice. Got to got to stay organized somehow with all this. You got to stay organized somehow. Well, yeah. and and it's funny too because uh, a buddy of mine. So I started this thing at, at work that's actually kind of fun. Well, it's, it's actually not even at work. So Wednesday nights, I usually just somebody from work, I or even multiple people from work, they just come over, and I'm trying to set my basement up where it's just like tools are available to you. If you want to work on a project, just come over and we'll all have fun. I'll have some beers. Maybe we'll grill some burgers or something but like if you want to work on something bring it over and i've had people bring guitar pedals over i've had people bring other random stuff over and they just work on whatever they want and so i'm trying to make my basement sort of like a makerspace for all the people at work uh and it's been kind of fun i'm considering getting a shelf that's like other people's shelves. So they just show up on Wednesday, they get their thing that they're working on and they and just it's make going it. to grow to like lockers yeah. and memberships. <laughs> yeah. and people have a their punch own cards and they come, <laughs> they clock <Yeah>. in. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's been, it's been a, it's been a whole bunch of fun. Um, so, so yeah, back to the Mac ramp real quick. Um, on the board that I have, so there's a few parts. I think there's six parts that are missing. They're all the same thing. It's a, it's a JFET. So I got to get that on order. Uh, I use JFET buffers because the the new tubes that go on the actual amp are really kind of awful at driving loads. So you have to have them push into something that has a higher impedance. And JFETs make for a pretty nice little buffer, stage. Know, buffer stage. And the reason why I even chose JFETs is because I believe the uh, the provided schematic that came from the Noritake fab where these things are made, they use a JFET. So it's just like, whatever, I'll just use whatever they're using. I'm actually been thinking about, um, well, I, I guess it's not really a JFET or but I'm, I'm going to add a buffer stage to that wagon RPM project. Yeah. And I'm just going to do a comparator oh, okay. type circuit. So it, dry, it goes into and goes, if it's over, cause that signal isn't purely, you know, ground and then five volts after yeah. the, the, uh, Resistor divider, it's got an intermediate step, but I, that, I think that step kind of like messes up the, the Arduino because it's like right in the range of if it can be a zero or a one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm gonna make a comparator so it's like it knows when it's zero and one. Oh sure. Well, yeah. I, I, actually, a uh, Schmidt trigger would probably be better uh, because yeah. then like 
you're capturing an edge and you know it's an edge and that's it basically yeah. a schmidt trigger with an rc filter on the front end uh so you're just capturing that and that's game over actually no 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 and in that case they you might actually end up with some issues um with the rc filter the schmidt trigger you know with a little bit of passives around it should should get you good yeah um, so yeah, I, I still have to order that uh, that JFET, but I've got a bunch of tube sockets and some other things that I have to order and some capacitors and things that all come from, you know, they're not Mauser style stuff. They have to come from a specific thing. So I'm going to throw that together, hopefully in the next day or so, uh, such that next week I can get that all soldered up. But in the meantime, I can still end up wiring like a lot of the, the board and things like that. Mm -hmm. So So funny story, I've been when I was working at Macrofab, we bought the evaluation board for the new tubes that go on this thing. Yep. And uh, I brought that to work here, and I've been using it as a headphone amp, uh, even though it's not necessary. Like, I, I, I literally have been taking the signal out of my computer, going to that, and then coming out of it. So it's like a Unity gain <laughs> headphone amp right now. <laughs> uh, but the thing that's interesting is, is it stopped working like about a week ago and I measured voltages on it just to check. And it seems to be that the tube is dead, which, what? which is like, if you look at the data sheet for these things, they're like super robust will last 400 trillion hours. And you know, all of these words, it's like the sun is consuming the earth and the new <laughs> tube is still working. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and the, like, all said and done, I've probably put three or four hours into this tube and it already died. Like, this is not good, dude. Um, at the same time, I found a really interesting failure mode. Uh, well, okay, so let me, let, me, let me back up one quick second. I got that evaluation board and that, uh, when I was at Macrofab, and that evaluation board has a pluggable new tube in it, so you can swap it out. And I think there's like nine other new tubes that are in a box down here somewhere. But I only ever had the one that it came with on its little carrier board plugged in there. So mm -hmm. I've only ever listened to one of these tubes. And it, and it sounds fine. However, if, if you tap it at all, it is unbelievably microphonic. So there's, there's a little wire inside that goes over the, I guess it's the cathodes. Uh, the mm -hmm. wire, I think, is the anode itself. And it's under a pretty high tension because when you tap it, it's super it loud rings. it rings like three kilohertz for like one tap on it with your finger will make it ring for like seconds well that's like a normal v uh, like a vfd does that well and, and that's just the thing these are vfds they're vfds yeah. that they're just passing audio through and so i'm like well that's not a good failure mode like all tubes are microphonic to some degree but this is like Holy crap, like if it, I mean, I heard it ringing if I put my hands down on my desk or like move my mouse around, I'd hear that ping. It's like, uh-oh, this is not good. But <laughs> to be frank, I've only ever tested one of these things, so I need to test more. But if one is microphonic and the very first one I ever touched is microphonic, that's not looking good for it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that that's that. There is one thing I, I wanted to bring up that was fun. And, and I kind of started off by talking about like, hey, I have to go back and look at what I did and like kind of refigure out. At the very input to the amp for both the left and right channel, I have an RIAA filter, which those filters are the, let me see it. I think I have it pulled up here that, 
Recording Industry Association of America. So at some point in time, I think it was 1954, this association put together standards through which you record to vinyl with. Mm-hmm. And these standards are basically, it's basically a fancy low, uh, sorry, high pass filter that, that gets applied to the signal when it gets cut to the actual record. And they do a high pass filter such that the bass gets reduced because bass actually makes the cut on a vinyl, uh, larger. So if you have yep. a larger cut, then you actually end up with less space on the record so if you do a high pass filter or a fancy it's a multiple pull high pass filter on there you can actually put more information on the record and have a longer record but the problem is you've cut bass to the record so you have to in your amplifier do the opposite filter in order for it to be a flat frequency response so uh this riaa filter has two poles and one zero they're at 50.05 hertz 500.5 500.5 hertz and 21, 22.1 hertz. Those are like super odd and specific values. But regardless, like this, it's this kind of fancy curve that if you set it up properly, then you get you end up with a flat frequency response. So at the front end of this amp, I built that in surface mount. So everything in the amp is through hole and you know high power. But I made this small little surface mount RIAA filter. And I added this this cool like feature where with a three position rotary switch, you can switch between a CD input. So the gain is set to accept whatever that's going to spit out line voltage, yep. basically line voltage. Uh, you can then switch to a moving cartridge style uh, turntable, which has its own output uh, levels effectively. And then there's also a moving magnet stage on there, which that has unbelievably low signal, so you have to gain it up. So this RIA filter is like, basically I designed it to be set for line level, but then the switch can add gain if necessary while still keeping the, the filters the same. The one thing that I haven't decided yet is that switch that switches between the gain stages, uh, because we're talking about the difference between a one volt input down to like 50 microvolts input, you have to have a huge amount of gain variance between those. I, I don't know if I want those to be on a switch that's external to the amp because if if it's playing and somebody goes bumps and, it and bumps it or it. switches those, <laughs> like you're talking about an enormous gain change without any compensation whatsoever. So it could go from like playing like a third of a watt to five watts with the switch of a you know, yeah. the input there. But but at the same time, like in reality, I'm probably the only person who's ever gonna touch this. So I don't know. I haven't decided if I want that switch to be external or not. I mean I cut a hole for it, so I've kind of dedicated myself to external but maybe i could just weld that whole shot (laughs) (laughs) uh another uh, one one last thing about it is like the original intent with this amp was to cut rectangular holes such that those tubes would be visible you could see them through it but seeing as i've had bad luck with them recently and the magic of them has gone away I haven't cut those rectangular holes. I don't even know if I'm going to make them visible from the outside. So you can't tap them. Well, there's that. But I also, I'm thinking about taking the, the faceplate into work and um, 
doing artwork uh, over where that is and putting like labels and things because I think that would look classier than having like one of these goofy tubes hanging out. So yeah, cool. That was uh, cool. that's what I did last week. Bunch of cool stuff. Awesome. So on to the RFO. So we have a we have two TI things. We have the uh, gain ultra high power density for 100 watt USB power delivery adapters. That doesn't really sound like a title. <laughs> um, but anyways, this is a design document from TI to basically build a very um, compact 100 watt uh, AC to DC adapter. And it achieves 30 watts per cubic inch. It's pretty tiny. That's that's really crazy. There, so there's like a whole, I don't even know what to call it, like division of engineering dedicated to power density in based off of volume, where it's like, how much juice can we have this power supply shove into a very small space? In fact, a while ago, gosh, this was a long time ago, I think we showcased a project where it was like well beyond 30 watt per cubic inch. And the magic was like, it wasn't necessarily getting power through that much volume. It was more about getting heat out of that much volume. Correct. Yeah. They're setting this up to be like AC adapters for USB type C, which is probably why they went with hundred Watts, but it gets like 93% efficiency, which is pretty crazy. So that, that includes like going from AC to DC. So even all your loss through your filters and stuff. Yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty impressive. It's it's not hard to find switch mode power supplies that are in the low 90s now. But uh the thing about it is like that's just the switch mode. That's not the entire system, you know. Mhm. So they got like basically it's a really cool reference design. So um if you're designing anything that's kind of like that, I would go take a look at their their solution. Hey, actually quick question about switch modes that I run into more often than I I wish uh a lot of times if you look at a switch mode like efficiency curve it's like great this thing tops out at you know 95 percent. this is awesome but in order for it to be 95 percent, you have to be pulling like two amps or something like that again most of the time i need like 10 milliamps or something you know yeah yeah um you basically need to tune the design for your current right your average current, that is. Right, right. And so, so, yeah, switch mode power supplies, You, you a lot of times you get pretty awful efficiency if you are not pulling a lot of juice from it or a lot of current. Um, so it almost makes sense to just spend some more on your budget, uh, your current budget, and just pull a little bit more because you'll get better efficiency. Although it, the thing that, that I've found in the past with designs like that like the that 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 chart that shows oh okay at 10 milliamps i'm going to be 30% efficient i've found just across the board that it's that's been incorrect where i've been something more like 70% efficient when the chart says 30 or something like that maybe it's like worst case scenario yeah i don't know and, and that's just anecdotal that's just my experience hmm. cool so okay, yeah so next this next one's really really cool uh so we found a DigiKey article that actually showcases a five watt power supply in an IEC mains filter case, which is deceptively simple and a really, really great idea if you ask me. So uh, if you've ever seen them before, there's these 
EMI filters that you can purchase for IEC entry modules. So like basically where your mains enters your case or your chassis or whatever. Uh, a lot of times you can just go straight to wires or straight to PCB, or you can buy these like all-in-one cases that have EMI filtering and balancing and things like that. Well, who is this? Is Remcom, I think it is? Yeah, Remcom has taken it one step further and they added a five watt power supply directly into the IEC case. So you plug mains in and you get something from 3.3 to 24 volts out. Yeah, you get you get DC out and they do like three and a half volts or 3.3 volts to 24 volts. Yeah. At five, five watts. Which yeah, is pretty which is crazy. Awesome. That, um, and like they have a cool picture with like it next to a Raspberry Pi and it's like no bigger than a Raspberry Pi. Oh, yeah, in terms of, in terms of its length, yeah. Yeah. So you can do um really compact off-shelf basically designs without having to have to roll a power supply design. Well, and and at the same time if this is like your first time working with mains, you can do it in a much safer way. Uh, you know, you don't have to do mains to a power supply to your project. You go mains directly to your project effectively with this. And you don't need a a, a wall wart or anything like that. No. The, the thing that I kind of like about this also is it's CE certified. Uh, I don't know what it would take, you know, if you had one of these in a, like a, a, a larger produced project. But I'm assuming that this... Um, would make getting certification a, a little bit easier, you know? Probably. I looked at the it, price for it, and they're like, across the board, it's like $17, um, regardless of what voltage you choose. A little bit on the pricey end. It is, but it's also like a one-stop shop, so that's kind of yeah, nice. that's true, too. I can see this being really useful for projects like they have here with the Raspberry Pi, like kind of like one-off kind of art style projects or terminals or stuff like that mm -hmm. where you have wiggle room in your bill materials. Yeah. If, if you can, yeah, if you can drop 17 on a, on a power supply, um, but you also have to consider like, okay, so yeah, it's $17, but if I don't have to design a power supply, there's, there's some money there. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I think it's, I think it's really great. Like you were saying, especially for these more, you know, one-offs little things because it just makes things so fast. And the next article we're going to talk about is the TI claims breakthrough BAH technology. <laughs> and BAH stands for bulk acoustic wave resonator technology. Wouldn't that be bar 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 bulk acoustic yeah. wave resonator B A W R Bar. Bart. <laughs> Bart. Um, so oh, Bart. That's what it says with the yeah, T. Bart. <laughs> oh, that's um, great. So what's with this is basically instead of having an external crystal um, oscillator that you would need for like a microcontroller or a radio circuit, um, TI finally has figured out how to put that directly onto the die without having to... Um, I guess change any topography or anything like that. Mm. So, because a lot of times your internal oscillators, they're oscillators made in silicon, so they're not very, uh, they're not immune to like jitter and they're very imprecise. They're good for like getting stuff running, but the moment you start trying to run like serial protocols or whatever, it kind of, you can't keep the clock uh, from drifting too much. 
But now it seems that TI has solved that, so now you can basically get away with, you know, lower bill materials and lower um, square inch on your PCB. Yeah, I wonder what the I'm I'm kind of sifting through right now to just see, like, what's the general accuracy? Like, how close are they? And also, like, have they have they compensated for temperature and things like that? Um, because a lot of times, like, that's what drives the cost of a crystal through the roof. It's like, do you need accuracy and do you need it to always be that accurate? You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure like, you know, the crystal that, well, actually, does an Arduino even have a crystal right now? Or are they still using a resonator? I don't know. I think they're using a, a resonator on some of them. Uh, I know on some, at some time in the past, they use a resonator. I can't remember if they switched over. But but the example is like, an Arduino is something that doesn't have to be uh, like there's not a very expensive resonator on there for obvious reasons. Correct. Yeah. <clears throat> so this is gonna be cool. I like to see this being rolled out to more microcontrollers, basically, um, and basically just to reduce you know how much shit you have to put on your PCB. So what is bulk acoustic wave resonation? I don't know. We can come up with an idea of what it is. <laughs> uh, you know what? I know what it is. Maybe it's like a microbe. It's a it's a microbe yeah. right inside that's just screaming at a mems mic. No, well, I think I think it harkens back to what we were talking about earlier with the um, uh, the new tube. It has a little wire that's held at such high tension that any little vibration makes it vibrate at like a gigahertz. <laughs> What, what what kind of, you know, this is something probably like physics two you had to do, but like what tension would you have to have a little tiny piece of wire at to make it vibrate at a gigahertz? <laughs> it's probably like the weight of the, I don't know, the Eiffel Tower hanging from a, a micron of wire or something like that. It looks like a MEMS kind of setup. That would make sense. All right, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna cheat and I'm look I'm trying to look in uh, on Google right now. What is it? Oh, a piezoelectric layer with some electrodes on it. Cool. So it is a a mem style um, structure. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a structure, but it's like held up by like it's actually like suspended. suspended. Yeah. Okay. So it just sits there and vibrates. And I'm just, you know, we're sitting here saying just vibrates, but like this is some like high tech, <laughs> this is some high tech technology like, right here. There's like thousands of engineers working on this yeah. right now. Oh, I get it. It just sits there, vibrates, and then uh, it's just and yeah. then the processor does things. You know, it, it just does things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Um, so yeah, hopefully they move that technology onto more microcontrollers and stuff, and yeah, be, I think that's gonna be good. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So one more I just added to our list oh. is I had a question for people on Twitter, and uh, I think it'd be a cool topic to talk about is storage of parts. H- how do you keep track of parts? And I, we kind of came up on this idea with the like whiteboard for projects. Yeah. But parts that you I, I like looking in the background of your webcam and I see like drawers over there and then I see like boxes. <laughs> Well, so, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you store parts uh, in general? Okay, so over on the floor, I, I I have a handful of, like, drawers. So I have – I okay, so 
those little drawers that you can get from like Lowe's or Home Depot. Those, and, you know, um, I have one dedicated to capacitors. I have one dedicated to resistors, and they're they're um, organized by value, and then they're organized by type also. Um, and then I have like a couple, I have a whole separate one that's dedicated to ICs that I use on a regular basis. Like I have some drawers that are like this type of op amp or that type, but then I, then I have one that's like, here's my drawer of all my microcontrollers. Cause I don't mind sifting through that when I need one, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so in general I do that. However, um, I have, uh, cabinets over on one of my walls here where I dedicate an entire cabinet to one project. So if I have an amp that has a box full of parts, like that goes in that cabinet and that's it. Like nothing else can go there. I know if I look at it, that's that. So I tried to stay organized in that fashion. How about you? So I have for pretty much all my active components, I do drawers like you have for your capacitors and stuff. So, but I do it by, I just have them all numbered. And then I use a program called Parts Keeper. And I think it's, it's you run it on the server and you just like log into it. And so I have like drawer <laughs> eight. Parker MRP. That's it. <laughs> actually what it is. Yeah. It's my MRP, uh, ERP system. Yeah. ERP. That's it. Yeah. 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 And uh, so all my drawers are that way. And so that way, if like basically if a bin runs out, I just mark it as empty and I can sort by like what bins are empty and I. So if I get a new part, I can just be like, okay, that bin is empty. Put the part in there and then set it up. Oh, I thought I thought it was going to flag you and be like, Parker, you need to order more 555 timers or something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then for SMD parts, I have a, it's like a, like a tackle box uh -huh. that's like four inches by eight inches. And it has like, it's got something like 40 little like inner like hatches inside. And so I just dump all my SMD parts in those. And then those are in Parts Keeper as well, like what numbers they are. Oh, nice. Um, and then for resist, like through hole parts, I have like boxes that have them all in bags. So I bought them that way. Um, it's like the like the variety pack of like through hole resistors and through hole capacitors. Yeah. Um, I like doing that for those because I don't use them all the time. But when I need like, a 4.7k resistor. I'm like, oh yeah, it's in that box. Yep. Yep. And then for fasteners, I just have a that's one thing I need to like organize. I just have a ginormous drawer that's like four feet wide and two feet deep and six <laughs> inches. And is well, it two full? feet wide and six inches deep? That is full of McMaster bags. Oh, oh no, okay. I was wondering if it was just boxes. loose hardware. <laughs> no, it's not loose, but it's like I need to find like a number six like screw that's like three quarters inch long made of stainless it's in there this is the funny thing is i actually go to mcmaster and see if i've ordered that <laughs> before i go look for it <laughs> so, so your order history is your erp system <laughs> for that yes i need to fix that and actually like organize it and like get quantities and stuff but yeah that's frightening yeah that's yeah <laughs> yeah good luck and bless your soul yeah, it's it's seriously like probably 200 pounds of fasteners. Oh, jeez, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, uh, that's another thing that would be great to hear from other people. Like, how do you store your stuff? Do you have some kind of fancy way of doing it? Like, I've been looking at welding carts uh, recently uh, for, for, you know, generating something from my welder. 
And it's really fun to take a look at how people have gotten creative with like, here's how they have their filler rod or here's where they like store their torches or whatever. It's like, it's, it's really cool to see like a bunch of creative ways of doing it. And it's not like any one is better than any other one, you know, or idea mm-hmm. on there, but it's, I, I don't like, it's kind of fun to see that. So yeah, it'd be great to hear from other people in the Slack channel. How do you store your parts? Yeah. The, on, on the welding thing is when I bought my acetylene torch setup, I bought it used mm-hmm. and the person made an acetylene torch cart. Mm. But he did so out of a dolly and then cut the dolly right down the middle and added width to it so it can hold both tanks. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's great how it's set up that way. Yeah. Uh, actually, so. so a good friend of mine back in Houston, he had an idea for an art show that I really, I want him to do it. And if he doesn't do it, I want to do it. Uh, but his idea was going to people's garages and having them like open their toolbox and not change anything, just take a picture of it. Uh, and, and just like completely plaster a gallery with just, this is a guy's toolbox and this is how he chose his toolbox to be. And like, I would totally go to that show. That would be such a great show just to see like this guy, like, here's like here's a guy who's like got every wrench like with an outline drawn around it and here's a guy who's got 200 pounds of fasteners in a in a giant drawer you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah that would be so great yep cool well i think that's gonna wrap up the podcast yeah so uh that was the macrofab engineering podcast we were your host Stephen craig and parker dillman take it easy Later, everyone. Thank you, Yes You, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, or cool way to store parts, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest map episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen as it helps this show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.